We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And a very happy birthday to our wonderful producer, Jeannie. Please wish her a happy birthday if you, you see her online. And aside from her birthday, the second most important thing today is it's 12-15, which I consider kind of the unofficial start of the NBA trading season. It's the date when the players who are signed this offseason are eligible to be traded. Now, that does not mean that a flurry of trades happen on 12-15, but it's also enough into the season, D, where teams kind of have an idea of who they are and where they're going. Not as much of one as they will by the trade deadline, but I do think that this is when negotiations really start to turn up a little bit, right? And we've heard more and more rumors and whatnot. And so today we may get into a little bit of the who we need, what type of player we need. And if you've been listening to the pod, we've discussed that a bit already. But today we're going to kind of talk about the overall like strategy lay of the land in terms of our picks, our trade assets, kind of how things look. And so I'm going to pass it over to you, D, to, to do that for us. The situation, I think, has changed over the, from the summer until now. Take us through that journey. Sure. So right before that, most players are eligible to be traded today. There are some players who got certain types of extensions that like raise their salary past a certain point of what they were making before. And those players actually don't become trade eligible until like the middle part of January. And mm -hmm. so I think Bobby Marks said it today that something like 88% of the league is trade eligible today. And so there's still like... 10% or so of players who cannot be traded today. And then there's even some players who can't be traded at all this season. LeBron James is one of those players, for example. The nature of the extension that he signed and when he signed it, he's not trade eligible until like next summer. So that's just a little CBA note for the day on a 12th. Today's the day for that, yep. Yes. So also, Pete, when you said that this is the unofficial start of trade season, wholeheartedly agree which also means it is the unofficial start of lying season, Mike. <laughs> 
we are going to be in full on line season now. And so there's going to be a lot of reports, report after report after report that are going to come in between now and through the trade deadline about what teams are doing, what teams like, who they like, who they want to keep, who's open for an extension. Like, yes. we like this dude so much, we're going to keep him. Oh, the guy you thought we were going to trade? No, we like him. Yeah. What? No, like Everyone likes a, their guys. Yeah, everyone likes their core. He's a valuable part <laughs> of our future, right? And so you're going to see a lot of that. And so it's, it is, it is, so to frame it more nicely than lion season, it is, it is like negotiating in public season. And and so that it's just another sort of variable to keep in mind about where we are. In terms of what you were asking me, Pete, the Lakers have, I think they came into this season. There was a lot of outside pressure about what were the Lakers going to do? What were they going to do? They got to trade Russ. They got to trade Russ. Like they got to reshape their roster in order to support LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis. And in holding off on doing that, I think the Lakers have tried to get to a position that if they're not there now, they're closer to it now, definitely, than what they were before the season started, which is looking like a functional NBA team that is progressing towards being the team that they'd like to be, but still a trade or two away. And so how that impacts their leverage or or their positioning to make a deal, Mike, I think is a worthwhile discussion, but I think it's inarguable that they are in a better position today than they were on August 1st or August 15th, right? Like a month or so before training camp was set to start, where there seemed to be this strong pressure building around the league that the Lakers needed to include both their draft picks just to get off of Russ. Like, forget who's coming back in the deal. It's just like, you got to trade him, you got to trade him. And, and so I think some of that has softened. And I think the Lakers are in a better position now than what they were. But the landscape around them and the landscape around the league, I think, has started to turn as we're nearly 30 games into the season. And the Lakers, as well as all these other teams, know more about what they are. Let me swing past over to Pete here, because this is Pete's, I think, idea to get into this uh, today. So actually, I want to hear what you, you kind of your top line thought here uh, first. I'm, I'm more curious before sure. I weigh in. So that what Darius was just talking about our about our improved trade position, I think is accurate on one level. It also comes at a cost, right? Like, so for example, I remember during that stretch, that August 1st to August 15th stretch or somewhere in there, we still had a couple roster spots open and it was like, well, what do we need? And like, we're saying, oh, we have too many guards. We have too many guards right now. And we're, we need to find, sign a front court player, that DN3 type of guy, but we're just so shallow in the front court that we don't have that. But who do we sign instead is Dennis Schroeder, right? Which I think in some ways is like, that's if you're trade, if you do trade Russell Westbrook, you are not committing yourself to having to trade back for a guard if you sign Dennis, right? The idea is that Dennis can run a second unit and do it credibly. And then that opens up to whatever trade that you that you get back. But in that time in between, in between a, a trade or not, and there was a report today from Sam Mamick that the, the Lakers are less likely to trade Russ than they were due to his play over the last month. And so 
in that time in between, though, you have such a misshapen roster that it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that it's like, oh, when in Gabriel goes down and now your bench can't defend. And that's a silly place for a roster to be in. Right. And so I, I agree that we are in a better negotiating position than we were over the course of the summer. And that does matter. Right. Because there are and there are a bunch of ways that we can go with this. It can be a, a small trade or two. It can be a, a really big one or two. Right. Or and, and everything in between. But there's a cost to that, Mike. And so that I'm glad that we've improved our position. But we're also 11 and 16 in, in part because of that approach. And so I'm super curious about the calculus of that versus the urgency to get a deal done. Well, in terms of whether it's changed or not, a lot of what we're talking about is perception and trying to understand what the perception of other teams are and what other executives are. Mm-hmm. And the whole way that that plays out in the media to me is this is where I, I feel like a, a Patrick Beverly almost talking and, and just using like the media as one entity, right? Sure. Which of course it is not. But I don't know that that's as significant sometimes as we think, because a lot of the executives are either talking amongst each other, one another, or like a lieutenant is talking to some other lieutenant in one of the other front offices. And those conversations are had daily uh, and often and sometimes Mm -hmm. an agent's involved. But I, I think that I think that the agent power has the last year or so has gone down a little bit more than people think uh, in in sort of the way that players themselves have so much power now. Uh, and and conversations are had so directly, I think, with many executives that I, I just think that a lot of this stuff is more about um, a, like it is in the in a fantasy realm of of me looking at my fantasy team and trying to acquire <laughs> sure. a certain type of player. If it's a roto league, because I don't have rebounds and I really mm-hmm. need rebounds. And how much do I value your player compared to what you value that player? And like, that's the stuff that interests me a little bit more. Um, but I, I don't know. I I'm the whole, it's kind of like when we have our, the trade machine stuff in, in, the, t- in the text thread and the more recent <laughs> trend as Darius described it is that I'm almost like annoyed by it. You know, and so I'm I'm Almost? trying not <laughs> and I'm trying not to be, you know, but it's like you guys have this incredibly um I, I, I don't know the the it's the American the, like, desire. So we it's, have a it's stamina. Also, Mike, it's the one thing we can't talk about like specifically on the pod. Like yeah. so this pod really serves I, I can't speak for you guys, but like my like <laughs> desire to talk to my friends about about basketball, this scratches a daily podcast. Hey, that's great. Cause I was doing this yeah. anyway with my friends, right? Like my whole life. So like, hey, we got a, a show to do it. But it's the one thing that we can't talk about. And so I think we over-index on it and damn you, Joey Ramirez for adding over-index to my vocabulary. Uh, we over-index on trade machine stuff, of managed, which Mike's just like... speak from Joey, yeah. Yes, that's right, that's right. Yeah. When I save the pictures now, so, you know, I save the... So I take screenshots of uh, the trades that I send, send in, and I sometimes save them so I can just drop them into the text thread, right, very easily. And so I've, so I've started um, naming them things like Mike is mad, 
or Mike hates us. No one sees these names except for me. But that's right? the file on the screenshot but, but, that but, you said. But, right. but that's the name of the picture. Like the PNG file is is Mike is mad dot PNG. And so right, right. this is just a little bit behind the scenes because but this only started recently, Mike. It wasn't yes. the whole time. It's this has been a more recent development. Well, no, I mean I'm not a patient person, but I feel like I was pretty pa- I have been pretty patient with the trade machine um, discussions. It's just now like you sent the trade that you sent this week is one that I think you sent in September. Uh, you know, it, it's sure, like the, sure. it's basically the sure. same one, and it's one that neither team would do, uh, right? Or you know, so. It, but that, with that real said, GM stuff though, Mike. Like I'm go, like I'm going back <laughs> to you with the same idea. It's just repackaged, right? Like this is the same thing and, I was selling. But you ultimately, before. but this is where I want to come clean <laughs> is that I'm like, I'm actually, I actually respect the the not only the desire. But the time that you put into it, um, and and it's not dumb at all, and it is thoughtful, just like just like you guys are. So I don't want to I don't want to come across on the thread as not wanting to hear it because sometimes I do. It's just that it it where it really drives me, Pete, to try to pull this back around. Where it really drives me is back to the point of I don't want to have to have to make a trade, like in order to have the mm-hmm. roster make sense. And of course, going into the season, that's where things were. And mm-hmm. and I think that we're we're seeing that in some ways. So it just it brings up sort of like the larger context of the last two seasons. You know, every time you start to think about, well, there aren't any of this type of player. And it's not always anybody's fault. And it's complicating factors, right? And it's and it's not just about the Lakers. That's where I get to the the point of impatience with it, right? Because you're you're you really have to try extremely hard and be really creative to uh, to fix a problem that still requires another person to sign off on that does not have the same interest. And and that's yes. that's where like my it, to try to psychoanalyze my own um, like scrolling past the text thread part of it. <laughs> so, well, that's. What you just described right there is why so few trades actually happen, right? Is that the more people and then once you get to three team trades and four team trades, uh, like the more people you need to agree on something and that need to serve their interests, the less likely it is that something happens. It's also something, too, that from since working with the team, like there have been a couple points where there's been some storyline kind of in the general narrative versus just knowing a couple extra bits of information where it was like, if everybody knew this instead, their thought on the overall thing would be totally different. And so that's something that I think you have a great feel for, Mike, is that like, this is a, I I think you have a a great uh, sense for like sifting through the BS. And so I'm super curious on your thoughts on that from a fan standpoint, how could you like, what, what advice would you give fans to be able to sift through the BS right now, the lying season that Darius was talking about versus like what's real. I've got a couple thoughts on kind of how I think this works after being in it for a couple of years, but I'm super curious how how you view the information that gets to the fans. Yeah, I, I guess I, first of all, I wouldn't presume to want to try to tell fans, you know, how to to feel or think about it. And not that, not that you really think that I should. I'm a little bit more in the, if you're as educated as, as you can be uh, in, and that's the combination of things that's watching the Lakers play. That's watching other teams play. That's reading, you know, certain credible reports, but basically treating everything with a grain of salt. And like, that's part of what the trade season is. It's part of the NBA off season and the rumors. And this franchise is going to get that player and all that. 
where I where I always push back from a national perspective, though, because people do the oh Laker exceptionalism. Lakers think they're going to get everybody. Like, well, that's true. Like that, the Lakers oh, are yeah. always going to be a big. So that's the part where people, oh, the Lakers think they're going to be this or that. Like, no, they are. They are that. This is I am a a Laker outsider who came in who is now in some senses an insider. Um, and so that's the part that I do push back on. So things are in play for a sense for the Lakers because players want to play for the Lakers. Like that part of it mm-hmm. is true. Um, whether or not that can happen depends on many, many other factors, but I do. It's not that the, so it's not that the majority of the things that are reported or discussed haven't been report, haven't been discussed. It's just more of the, I think that as in life, which sports ultimately is a great metaphor um, of like, you just have to put yourself in the shoes of the other team. And that's, that's what I try Mm -hmm. to do more than anything else. So if you see something reported, Lakers are linked to player X and from from team X just think would that team really want to do that why would they get rid mm-hmm. of a really good player that they have even if they have a bunch of young guys like what is that going to accomplish for them to have a pick in 2027 like for example is that something that or are they so far out of the mix in what like so that's the the shortest answer I think Pete for me is just put sure. yourself in the position of what the other team might want to do and and can both teams benefit in some way, even if they don't love it? That, that to me, is the best way to evaluate it. And it's also not always the Lakers that are the only other team in the equation, right? The other part of that is, can they get equivalent or better value from someone else? So uh, same question to you, D. How do you kind of sift through what's true and what's BS during this period of time? Well, everything's true and everything has a hint of BS to it. Oh, it's a right? yes and, and no. I like it. It's a, no, like yes and real no. talk on this one, though, is mm-hmm. one of the first things I learned about following the NBA. And once I really got into understanding like news breaking and NBA reporting is that newsbreakers get their news from people within or close to the organization. They hear things. You and Mike hear things that are totally not coming from people within the Lakers organization. Like, oh, like you don't have to see Rob Palinka in the office to be like, oh, well, I'm hearing X, Y, and Z. The things that get out and the things that get reported, those are well-sourced. They're well-sourced for a reason and they're out there for a reason. One of, So to build on what Mike was saying is who benefits from information being public and why, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I remember and things got messy around this was the initial reporting and all of the reporting around the, around the very public negotiations that were happening between the Pelicans and, and the Lakers around the trade deadline Mm -hmm. and in the lead up to the trade deadline around the Lakers wanting to trade for Anthony Davis. And there were almost daily leaks around what the nature of the Lakers offer was. And there's a great deal of financial incentive for that too. These are the stories from working behind the scenes. And I'm sure you can imagine this as a fan too, that when you look at your metrics, if you're working for a blog or someone else, the trade rumor stuff, some of the best performing stuff there is in terms of clicks and views. And so you got a lot of parties that are incentivized to give really repackaging the same news over and over again, which we see time and time again with uh, trade rumors. And so this is where, too, it's just like, and sources close to can mean so many different things. It can mean a team employee. It can mean an agent or someone who works for an agency for a player that plays for that team. Guess what? That dude is close to the organization. He's got a player that happens all the the time. 
That right? happens all the time. Those guys are super motivated to advocate for their guy too. So there. So beyond the questions that Mike was saying that fans should ask themselves about like, okay, well, why would the other team do – will do this? One of the questions I always try to ask, ask myself is, well, who benefits from from this? Like there were leaks earlier this season about stuff around – what the Lakers would or would not give up and on what timeline that they might give those things up on. And mm-hmm. and people were just like, look at like some of the stuff I would read like on Twitter is just like, oh, look at Rob Palinka. He thinks that <laughs> this is going to work. Like it's clearly Rob saying this. And I'm just like, well, look at listen to the disdain in your voice towards Rob Palinka. And you're thinking it's Rob Palinka who is leaking to the media the thing that you're mad at Rob Palinka about? Like, unravel that in your mind a little bit more and, and understand that if the thing that's getting leaked is making you mad at this person, maybe that person's not the person who's actually <laughs> saying those things. Or maybe it is. And that's the and that is the funny part about the trade season. And and it's why, like I said, like it's it's also line season because there are times like I've said this a bunch, but do you remember when Steve Nash went in front of the media when he was coaching for Brooklyn? And he was like about Harden. Yeah. He's like, James Harden's not getting traded. Yeah. But he he is not getting traded. Like there's no discussions. There's no anything. And like within 10 days, James Harden's got traded. Right. And that's not a trade that happened that went from 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 idea to completion in the nine days after Steve Nash said said that. Right. Right. Like conversations didn't start immediately after that that press conference. And so this is what I'm talking about, like the way things are framed. There's always someone's always seeking leverage, Mike. And we should go to break here, but I'd love to get back into this idea of like the positioning of the Lakers within some of these discussions, because you said something earlier that I want to kick back to you and try to get more perspective on. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mike, you had talked about other teams have to do it too. And other teams, it's like you have to get another team to say yes, which is something that you said too, Pete. And the Lakers, and you talked about as well, like like potential holes in the roster and the idea of like, we have to make a deal and how that impacts leverage. Like when other teams think you have to do something, that makes them think that you're desperate, even if you're trying to put off the idea that you're not desperate. And to me- The way I would, there's just the way I would think about that. And again, just trying to bring fantasy sports into this, because I think people that listen to the pod probably play a decent amount of fantasy sports. When you're looking to improve your team, you probably start at the bottom of the standings a lot of times, right? At least at least I do. I like, all right, who's down, oh, who's right. down at the bottom? Who's available? Yep, right. Yep. What? Yeah. What are they lacking? Because it's tough to sell to a team that's in first place that they need X, Y, or Z. So even even that that kind of thing has to goes into what Darius is getting. Well, and at the beginning of the year, nobody knows if they're that team. In fact, most teams think that they're hopefully not going to be one of those teams. And so, but at this point, 27 games, we're almost at the exact one third mark of the season. You certainly have a better idea. So. That to me is part of that push and pull that I just wanted to kick back to you guys is the Lakers have clear aspirations of where they want to go as a team and as an organization. And they say it every year, it's championship or bust. Our goal is to win an NBA championship. That idea was out there before they had LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now that they do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that whole idea of competing for a championship is baked in to what the roster build is. Right. It's just like we got these two superstars. We're trying to win. They also have an 11 and 16 record. They also um, have clear deficiencies on their roster, like with just missing parts that would help support them. Right. But they've also sort of stabilized as a team. And they've been playing better. And Pete, you said in in the text thread that over the last like 15 games or so, they've basically been playing 600 basketball. Right. And so how do all these things clash up against each other in terms of creating a trade environment where it's just like we want this thing and and we want it because we want to get closer to what our goals are. And other teams are just like, you want the thing that I have. I don't care how long you want to wait. The thing I got, we still got it and you still want it. And those things are that's how deals don't get made. It's when everyone is in a crouch and I want the thing that I want. You want what you want and we're not coming together. And so how does that get bridged between when teams are trying to win the deal? Yeah, the I think that this is where the this is where you have to just be able to sell incredibly sell like not, you know, credibly sell why it's good for another team to either take on a contract right and put themselves in a different position lottery wise or that the the player that you're getting back is not going to get more than what you're offering and and I think those things are true in a lot of situations for things that have come up but this is where it gets back to that point of leverage of where the Lakers are perceived to be 
And and it's not just the perception, but really like the reality of, yeah, that team, that team has some stuff there that could, and some stuff is obviously LeBron and AD, right? And a couple other play, players and pieces. But if they do make a certain move, like then they can credibly compete for something. And so that, but they can't if they don't. And I think everybody knows yeah. that. You know, yep. and, and that's where it comes. So that's where at the start of the season, I don't think teams are going to be are wanting to be the solution for that, as opposed yep. to think about when the Lakers traded for Pagasol, um, they were in a, a much better position than everybody had thought because of the emergence of Andrew Bynum um, and the sort of the play of Kobe and Lamar around that. And that also came out of nowhere, seemingly right where it was just sort of like the Lakers were smart enough to go hunt for something and the Grizzlies apparently hadn't considered putting that out there for to get what other teams best potential offer might be. And they likely could have gotten more right then. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness they didn't um, shout out to pow in the Jersey retirement later this year. So that to me Can't is wait. why, and, and you guys have both spoken about this. That to me is why time is really the thing that is making this, uh, it's going to eventually make something happen or not, because at a certain point, another team's going to be like, yeah, well, if we don't do a deal like this, then we're not we're just not going to get a pick and we're just mm-hmm. not going to get some contract potentially offer books, whatever that is, whatever the that other team, their own self-interest comes into play. There's a certain point where where that starts to factor in um, and yeah. whether or not that ends up being a good deal or a bad deal for the Lakers depends on what the player is. And and, and so that's the part where of the endless speculation um, stuff that doesn't really matter until a type of deal is done. But those teams coming to the table eventually with like a real offer. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure the extent to which that's happened yet, but I think it's starting to get to the point of the season where those talks get more serious. Yeah, exactly. I, but I don't think that we're at that end point because the things that we can credibly sell, which I think you're spot on about that's really what it comes down to, they don't have a benefit until after the season. And so what are the things that we can credibly sell as assets? A lot of talk about the future picks, right? Oh, Lakers might be terrible in 2027 or 2029. If they're unprotected, that could be a great pick, right? I have a different perspective on future picks than I think most people do. And I think that we can overvalue hope and like what could be down the line when in reality, a lot of times it becomes like the 16th pick in the draft, which is great. It's good to have, but it's not something that's like a franchise changing thing. But you can always sell hope into the future. Right. And then the other thing that we have to sell are a lot of money in expiring contracts. Russ is 47 million. You got Bev and Nunn combining for like 19 or so. and what that's what that has value to other teams is there are a few teams around the league that are kind of that look to me to be at or near their ceiling while also having long-term committed money to veterans and so that puts them in this position of you're not a contender and you're also not going to be a contender there's nothing that's that's in that's coming up for you you don't have upcoming cap space or a young player that's going to develop into a really good one down the line and so the expiring contracts and a lot of money in expiring contracts in expiring contracts can be a sort of get out of jail free card for some of those teams the thing about that though is that that they don't receive the benefit of that until the off season so there's no incentive for them to do that deal on 1215 any more than there is on february 9th which is the trade deadline and so that's why i think these conversations start right now but the value that is offered is not something that really comes into play until after the fact. 
That said, it's also they're also especially the expirings. Like we have cap space this summer, D. But there's value in being in trading one of the expiring guys for a guy you could get bird rights to, or a guy that is under contract for a couple of years. That's like, yeah, that's that guy's a good player and will fit a couple of different types of builds. That hasn't really been the approach that we've taken historically with uh, under Rob, where the preservation of uh, cap space has been really uh, has been really important and not given to kind of middle class type players long term wise. But that said, there's a certain you lose it, you use it or or lose it uh, with the Russ contract, with Bev, with none, with just expiring guys on money. So I'm curious about your perspective on that, because I think that like we have some things to offer, but they don't really appeal to the other team until that deadline. Yeah, I also think, too, that while we know more about what teams are and teams know more about themselves, they're still like, look at the way that we're talking about being 11 and 16 and like, like, oh, well, just could be what, yeah. right? <laughs> and sure. So, like, sure. and maybe, maybe that optimism will be proved, proven right. And maybe it'll be proven like, look at these idiots, right? <laughs> they thought. Like, listen, Charles Barkley talk on TNT about the Lakers and then you'll get like the other view of like, what are these dudes doing? They're not any good. Yada, 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 yada. And so this is a world of ideas and there's lots of them. And teams will look in the mirror and evaluate what they are now and what they're trying to be. And you can kick the can down the road when you're a team like like look at the Washington Wizards. Wizards are 11 and 18, right? Look at the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls are 11 and 16. Bulls have the same record as, as the Lakers do today, right? Now, both conferences are super competitive. Both conferences, it looks like you are not going to get into the play-in even as at like a level where you're four or five games under 500, the way that you could be even like two seasons ago, right? And so... As we get closer to January 15th rather than December 15th, a month full of games, you will know way more about yourself and what your prospects are than what you do now. And this is why a lot of trades, even though trades, it is trade season now because close to 90% of the league is trade eligible. Trades don't happen before the calendar year changes. Like I when did the Palgasol trade happen, Mike? February first. Yep. Right, and that felt early. Like teams were like, "Wait, there's trades yeah. happening already." Yeah, it was like a week before. I think. Right, yeah. but it's like most of the time there's this flurry of deals that happen, and it, over the last couple of years, you've seen more and more where it's just like, "Oh, a week before something happens, one deal, two deals here," but there aren't a flurry of deals in December. There's not even a flurry of deals in January. Like mm -hmm. for that talk about expiring money, Pete. Well, guess what? It's just like if I'm trading. It, one thing that we're trying to do is like, okay, well, let's swap money. Well, it's just like, well, look, if well, I'm happy paying the dudes that I have, like if if the goal is to be bad and we're a bad team. Right. For the tanking teams. Right. For the teams that you that Mike said are at the bottom of the conference and you're trying to like let, like get stuff from them. Mm -hmm. Those teams are the say, hey, we're already bad. We'll just pay our dude. Right. And when it's time, we'll swap our money for your money. And then that will be that. And then we'll figure it out. 
right? Like there's no, just like you said, in terms of what the incentive is, like, oh, I don't want to have to owe this player who makes $47 million a year. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to have to pay him out the rest of his $47 million contract. Well, what's today's date? Today is December 15th. There's a third of the season left. So I'm about to pay a dude $30 million. What if you feel like he's not going to be on your team and he's a buyout guy? So Mm -hmm. wait, I'm going to trade for a player and then write him a $30 million check to go home? Just just going to wait until the around that feels crazy, right? And I'm just going to wait until the last possible moment to do that. So all that speaks to your point, though, about why trades don't happen quite at this point yet. Uh, But I do think it opens the, the season for that. So all of this kind of begs the question is what do the Lakers have to offer right now in terms of if they wanted to get a deal done sooner than later? Because there have been more trades. I think the Jeremy Grant trade was before the deadline. And there have been a couple of trades, right, that have been like, oh, that's three, four weeks uh, ahead of the trade deadline. The one thing that I think the Lakers have to offer to kind of speed things up if they need, because if we want to be good, we are 11 and 16. Those are in the bank right now. We need to win some games and we're holding on with the roster that we have. We've gotten better, um, but certainly there are flaws uh, in, in several places on the roster as a result of us being in this intermediate, uh, in this in this period in between. To me, it's pick protection or lack thereof. It's one of the things that you can offer that's like, hey, I, I'm willing to offer an unprotected first if you can get the deal done now, but there are other people that are that we have in the. Uh, there are other trade conversations that we're having, and if it's one of those deals where it's like this isn't going to happen till February 9th for all of the reasons that we've stated, then at that point there's no reason to make it unprotected, right? And so, a question to you, Mike: To what degree do you value pick protections? Right? It's something that we there are a bunch of different ones. There's a top three. There's the top threes are like. We don't want to miss out on a potential superstar where everyone knows, like Wembenyama, like we know he's going to go number one type of thing. We don't want to miss out on that type of guy. There are top 10 protections that turn into top 12, top 14, et cetera, right? Um, and it's a way of like not missing out on stars. And so I'm curious about the way that you value that, Mike. Like what's the difference between a lotto protected first and an unprotected first to you? Well, of course it all matters uh, just on a scale. Like it, it's... In a perfect world, you get the most protected pick possible that you send out. It, it, it's just all about what your leverage point is. And <laughs> the other point I think about pick protections is that if you put protections on a pick, then it limits the amount of future picks that you can attach uh, in a <laughs> trade. And that's significant. And I think it's more significant for some executives than others, but it is significant. So it's just something I think that isn't talked about a ton. And we <laughs> probably don't have the time right now to to dive too deep into that uh, that's you know you can go find larry coon and um get that's into right. the salary cap faq for it but i would say the other element though in this is is always about like the involvement in the evolution of the uh the plan versus the bottom of the draft or the bottom mm. of the the table and teams that can kind of hang around just to see if they can get into the plan and it's it's close enough now for even bad teams that it just keeps teams engaged longer. Um, Mm, And, mm -hmm. and it also, when you, when you think about a team like the Lakers who don't have their pick for next year, or at least since it's a swap essentially, right. New Orleans has it. Chicago's pick is going to Orlando. Minnesota's pick is going to Utah. Dallas's pick is going to the Knicks. Phillies goes to Brooklyn and on and on and on. Like Portland goes to Chicago, Brooklyn to Utah, 
uh, Cleveland to Indy, Denver to Charlotte. Like there's a ton um, of picks that are being swapped here. And so that also comes into play when thinking about trading a pick um, or, or not trading a pick, but like, well, the Lakers, why would they do anything but try to win and try at least to have a shot in the plan you, at a certain point, you'll know whether you're like who's depending on who the one in the two seeds are. Right. And and kind of depending on who's healthy and depending on if if the right type of player presents himself at some point, um, then it's not a dumb idea to go ahead and try to make a run because of what the plan does provide. And mm-hmm. and so that's the part where I, I think it's not futile at all to c- continue to push and to con- continue to try to see what the absolute best type of trade could be made. And then once you know what that player is, that's when you start to take into account the next season and who you have under contract for the next season. All of the things that go into this, it's just that the 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 actual physical facts of what of what the play in is, like what the records are and then which teams are motivated to get there and not. uh, I think Mm -hmm. there are another important element to consider. Yeah, great point. You mentioned the Bulls, Mike, and their pick going to Orlando. Their pick only goes to Orlando if it's outside the top four. And this is where Chicago is going to need to decide for themselves relatively Wait, soon. Is, whether, say that again. What, what's the what are the protections on that again? The protections on the pick from Chicago to Orlando as part of the Vucevic trade is top four protected. So top if four. the okay. pick is that's right. So if the pick is in the top four, the Bulls get to keep it. Right. If the pick and is you got outside, some stars the, up top. Yep. Yep. And if the pick is outside the top four, it goes to Orlando. One of the interesting things about the Bulls is that they are in that range where, and it's going to have to happen soon, where they're going to need to decide, are we going to wait for Lonzo? And are we going to try to play into the play-in with the idea that like we're comfortable losing our first round pick? Or are we going to try right. and get to the bottom a little bit more where the flatter... If I can opine, I, I just don't think they can get there. I don't think they can get that low. Considering Charlotte, Detroit, Orlando, San Antonio, Houston, even OKC, Washington, the teams that are already below them that are definitely going to be trying to stay in that sure. range. Like, I just don't think they they can do it. I will say that the Bulls have 11 wins and some of the teams that you no team has fewer than seven wins. Yep, right have now. nine. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So they've got eight and, and nine it's top wins. Four, right. It's not like you got to get the number one pick. It's top four. And there are a couple but, of dudes. There's Scott right, Henderson. To, yeah. But to you, like you can also you're not guaranteed. Right. To even you're like, not. That's all. So no, you're not, not your better. Your, your odds are, are just not good enough for me to uh, what, when you have the kind of talent and the kind of bets that they have. But but it, it's not impossible. I'm just saying my opinion is that they wouldn't do it. 100%. And that's the, and your opinion may be the exact opinion that is carried in that front front office. It may be not as strong as your opinion. And that's yes, the sure. interesting part about all, all of this. Yep. Another thing that complicates things for the Bulls, and this is just a side thing, they the Lakers own their second round pick, but the Bulls have lost the next second round pick that they're supposed to get in 2023 because of the tampering violations that they committed when they signed Lonzo Ball. Right. And so the Bulls, are set to receive Denver's second round pick, but if they get it, they that it'll be forfeited because of the Lonto Ball stuff. So the Bulls are about to go into a draft in 2023 potentially with no pick at all. Mm-hmm. And Vucevic being an unrestricted free agent and Lonto Ball with a that right now a knee that there's not a lot of information on about how he's going to recover, which is super upsetting for someone who is a major fan of Lonzo ball. And, and so it's like, 
this all goes into the calculus of decision making. And I just want to bring it home with that point, Pete, is that a lot of these teams are going to start to need to make individual decisions about what their season is supposed to be and what are they willing to do? And are they going to be a willing trade partner? Are they going to be a buyer or a seller? And what does that look like? And I think we all know the Lakers want to be buyers, but they don't want to be the type of overeager buyers where they are mm-hmm. the ones paying, you know, well above market rate in order for the thing that they want to get. And Mm -hmm. that's the tricky part of all of this. And it's the landscape in which they're trying to navigate now, I think. And a lot of other teams are too, because the league is wide open. I think a lot of teams should feel like if we Mm -hmm. improve in this specific way, we can win an NBA championship. And Mm -hmm. that creates a lot of like, oh, should we go for it? Should we not? How much do we put in? And all of this other stuff that makes this all super interesting to me. And, and it's why, Mike, there's going to be four or five more pictures coming into the group chat at some point over the next <laughs> oh, few sweet. days. With <laughs> I haven't uh, I'm not I'm not a big fan of people that do the do not disturb because it, 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 it kind of makes me feel like so. Mike has I've been wondering. I've been wondering. Yeah. yeah. But I got to figure out how to do that. I got to figure out. <laughs> Yeah, it's Mike. It's this is not a problem that's going to get better for you between now and February 9th. So, so you need to invest in your future sanity. Uh, Happy birthday, Jeannie. You guys Uh, could just text each other, but you know, sure. Oh, oh, you don't think we do? You think you get all of them? I'm like, what? How could there possibly be more? How could there be more words? You say that that are in that. You've been listening to the Laker film, but don't take me from the the Laker film podcast. Don't kick me out. Don't kick me out. No, no, no. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.